Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Today in Manana. I'm Alex. This is Nick. We're very excited to have you joining us this morning on a chilly morning here in Charlottesville, Virginia, but that's just a great opportunity to get into your cozy place, get some cafe con leche, preferably from Guajiros, and watch some Today in Manana. And like and share, as Xavier uh, likes. Nick is taking. Like and share. admirably taking Xavier's place and saying like and share and subscribe. Exactly. Oh, and subscribe, Today yes. Today in but Xavier likes to throw in subscribe. He, yes. He's a, he's a fan of subscribe. He's a YouTube person. Yes, he is. So we have a lot in store for you today. We'll, we'll look forward to having uh, Steve Harvey from uh, First Street Coffee Bar back uh, in the future. We've got lots of different things we can cover today. We'll do yes. a little Charlottesville, a little music, a little UVA, a little finance. So we'll kind of mix it all in there. Uh, we've got a lot... A lot that we can uh, cover this morning. Of course, big thanks to I Love Seville Network being on the on the set here. Uh, we made it easy for Judah this morning. We're like, Judah, <laughs> you just have two people, just Nick. Well, I was going to say, he had to do a little swap because my, you know, Michael and Steve are both, let me hope they both get better. They're both feeling a little under the weather, um, which is why we had to do the swap. It was a last-minute thing, but uh, hopefully they'll both be returning to the right. set soon. And, when, you know, we are, we are flexible. Wait, the show must go on. <laughs> the show the must, show go, must on. go on. The mail must go through. The mail must go through. And, uh, and of course, a couple of shout outs. Thanks to Emergent Financial Services for being our presenter. Thanks to our great partners at Matias Young Realty, Credit Serious Insurance, Castle Hill Cider, Forward Adelante. And thank you, of course, for, for joining us this morning. Be, said, be sure as we get into some of these topics, if you have questions, comments, things you want to bring up, uh, points you want to make, be sure to let us know and send them our way. We will definitely read them and uh, and let you know. So I mean, gotta start. This one is a bit of a curveball. Well, first, how are you doing, Nick? Let's I'm start. fine. Give me the curveball. This to Xavier, yeah. but the curveball is um, UVA. So got to talk a little bit about it because uh, Michael right. and I promised last time we griped about UVA not playing so well. They went on the seven-day win streak. So, but now that they gripe again because they had a bad because they had a really bad yes. game against Virginia Tech, and so our thinking is. You know, that we definitely need to look at other ways to figure out how to score. Because right. it certainly seems that teams occasionally figure out how to really just push our guys off the three line and make it difficult for us to score. And then we have real clunkers like we did. I mean, we struggled. The pit game that we lost was not great, but they shot 50% from three which is hard to beat anyone who's shooting 50% for three. But to lose 75-41 to Virginia Tech, it's not good. No, was that a deep – do you see that as a defensive? Because you said that we need to find no, other ways to score, I, but I was there – the 41 is I think when you more of a problem. Score, it's hard to get back on defense because the other team is running down the – because you missed and now the other team is running to score. So I think right, but can you slow that like, down with ball possession? You can try to slow that down, but when you only score 41, you're missing a lot okay, of shots. Okay, that's true, yeah. You're missing a lot of shots. So I think that's a, a big picture of it. And, I mean, all is not lost. I mean, we're still in third place in the ACC, and the only people above us are Duke and UNC, okay. which is your usual so suspects. So, I mean, we still have, you know, some hope here. We just have to play better. We probably got to win one game against Duke or UNC. We have UNC at home on Saturday. Okay. And then we have Duke away in a few weeks. And then definitely need to beat Boston College and Georgia Tech because they are not good. And uh, you need to beat the teams that are not good. Okay. To go to the NCAA. So that's my gripe. That's your, that's my gripe. That's your philosophy, really beat the teams this. that are not good. Yep, I'm really just saying this in the hopes that the magic works again. Tony Bennett listens to today, Manana does <laughs> absolutely nothing. Uh, doesn't tell me, you know, ignores us completely because I really don't. Have He's great taking advice. notes right now but from Spurs, We don't lose Spurs, to Boston College. Exactly. <laughs> he said, "Well, he's going to take that back to me." Like, how it's Serbia today, Manana said, "We can't lose to Boston." Yeah, we need to find some other ways to score. I'm going to find them. I didn't exactly. think about that before. Exactly. He doesn't have to do any advice that I said, but this will spur the luck. <laughs> Uh, another seven-game win streak. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was a luck Which If we thing. have another seven-game win streak, that would be fantastic. It probably means we win the ACC tournament and a game in the NCAA tournament. So let's do it. Seven-game right. win streak. You heard it here first. Seven-game win streak. Another one. Got it. 
All right, we'll chart that down and see if Alex is correct in the future. Place your bets in the comment section. Place your bets now. Is Alex wrong or is he right? We'll see. There you go. So, I mean, I know you and Michael got to visit, uh, take hold of a little music here in Charlottesville. So, Michael and I decided to uh, go to the Tuesday evening concert series' mm-hmm. performance of, it was Shostakovich's third string quartet and Beethoven's 15th string quartet. And I know for a lot of audience members that may sound a bit on the dull side. However, that's because you haven't been to a concert <laughs> that have Beethoven in it before. So, and it was great. They always do a, a wonderful job because, you know, the, all the small groups in Charlottesville, especially, they, they get really top quality performers. They, they make the, um, the program interesting. And really that's, that's part of the key too, is that they have a, a variety of pieces that are very interesting that keep you engaged. So like, and, and if you don't understand something, because one of the things I always run into is that people say, I don't understand classical music. Well, you don't it's not about under, there's nothing to understand. It's an experience. So you experience it. Number one, number two, if there's nothing, if there's something you don't understand, it'll be in the program notes. Mm-hmm. Like the stories are always written down in the program. So just read your program and you'll see exactly what the composer is trying, or at least exactly. for the most part, what is the consensus about? Like for instance, mm-hmm. Shostakovich's was composed in 1941. And it, he was very emotional when they had played, when he heard the performed for the first time because it was a it was a piece written during the war and mm-hmm. part of it was a reflection on that that kind of difficult time for beethoven it was just a matter of being you know it was his 15th string quartet it was he the middle um portion the very middle movement was composed at a time when he was sick mm-hmm. and so it was a recovery no, piece was the 15th, is that was that his last second to last. second to last it was not okay so it's not second to last in the order he wrote them it was just second to last by opus number mm-hmm. um but it's it's also one of those things as Beethoven got later and as he aged, he started writing much more creatively. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more interesting to listen to later string quartets by Beethoven because they don't have standard movement structures because this was five moons instead of four. Absolutely. And of course, for those who aren't aware, like that was at Beethoven's time, that was a huge difference. Like mm-hmm. one, a lot of times what he would do too, one of his movements, the middle movement was 15 minutes long and a 45 minute piece so it took a third of the whole piece was the center so it creates a lot of emotional weight driving towards the center but it's also capped by these really exciting pieces that were full of you know melodies on top of melodies counterpoint all these things so it's it's a and you know the performers always do it so well and old cabal hall is perfect for these kind of performances because it's not too large exactly yeah it's not so large that you couldn't hear Mm -hmm. four people playing on the stage absolutely yeah Yeah. and it's great acoustics yeah so it's just it's give it a shot like the tickets aren't really expensive it's like thirty dollars to go for a good seat twelve dollars if you're all the way in the balcony so if if you want to just give twelve hours on a Tuesday night a chance, go ahead because you know these performances that they're, they're absolutely wonderful. Yeah, no, you know, we're we're blessed to have such quality of music uh, here at Charlottesville. Yeah. I mean, we obviously we got the Tuesday evening concert series. We went to the UVA Symphony recently. Yeah. Um, of course, you've got uh, David McCormick from early. Uh, uh, early Music America coming on next week. Yeah, he's coming so, next I mean, week. Early Music America. I mean, they have, they, they do, always have great performances. There's a lot of groups here. You know, I mean, like just keep your eye out. Society. Oratory that, Society. That yeah, about. absolutely. You know, I mean, they have an upcoming concert on March 9th. Um, I believe That's it's soon. At, um, at 4 p.m. at First Presbyterian right here on Park Street. So, I mean, it's going to be music from the theater. So, maybe a little more if you've never experienced maybe a weighty classical music piece before. You can kind of ease your way into yeah. it with some music from the theater. Well, a lot of those you know, music... Are... works from your know, opera, operetta, Broadway. Maybe there might be some things you're familiar with, some things that are going to be new to you. Yeah. They'll be a little on the shorter side, right? You're, so you're not, you're not jumping into it with like a one and a half hour, you know, today-um thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? You have, exactly. You have time to ease your way into it. So there's so many great... Um, Things leading up, of course, that's all leading up to the, the big one that Nick and I are looking forward to in May. The, uh, the, uh, Another Beethoven, yeah. 200th anniversary. Anything so. with Beethoven is hard to resist for, especially for Alex and I that are big Beethoven aficionados. Aficionados, exactly. Yeah. But I think we have great up. I mean, music yeah. in Charlottesville 
Oh, the Charlottesville Opera, exactly. We saw Leanne Opera. at the perform at the Tuesday evening because she met Michael for the first time because he's oh, never cool. been oh, he's right. never been on the show with Leanne <laughs> because I always insert myself on his opera. So, uh, uh, so I so promised him I'll put him on one time. Absolutely, and it'll be. Uh, there's just so many opportunities to enjoy, and I think people know that that's the case for music a little more popular music, you know what I mean? Right. Folk music, bluegrass, you know, things that are around here. Obviously, Dave Matthews Band was from here, right? So I think people know about that on the Charlottesville side, but the classical side is, is just so good for a town of our size right. that you don't really need to travel up to New York or Washington, D.C. Or even Richmond. You don't have Richmond to go as far to, as Richmond to, to get what, we're, know, to, exactly. what we have here. Yeah, Absolutely. So it's really fantastic, and I would definitely encourage people to, to check out Tuesday evening concert series. Check out Oratorio Society of Virginia. Check out Early Music America. And we'll have David on next week to, to talk a little bit more about that, kind of share that with the, with yep, the audience. Exactly. Don't exactly. want to spoil too much in advance. No, no. don't do not. We do not want to. You just have to tune in next week. To tune in next exactly week. Exactly what we'll be talking about. Um, and then switching to our, uh, our main topic for today, in a sense, uh, which is finance topic. Exactly. You know, which is always a big uh, crowd pleaser. I know we, we, we always did some good questions with a uh, finance topic. So I think we have a, a nicely sophisticated finance audience uh, that watches today, Manana. But number of things we can talk about, not sure where you wanted to I think to we were going to start with what Xavier actually sent us because um, he was like, guys, talk about this. I can't go on. Um, so, but if Judah, if you have a moment, could you pull up the inflation graph? So this is a new um, updated version of a graph that's, thank you, Judah, that we've seen before. And what it is is it, it, it highlights the inflation of different, um, how would you say, different sectors and different, and different things that we are all exposed to. Let me find this graph for myself so I can well, describe it better. Shout out to Ukrumana de Dawson Agnelli watching the show uh, this morning. Uh, mom of uh, Claudia Cruz from... Uh, Dulce de Leche. Dulce de Leche joined us this morning. Muchísimas gracias. So if you so if you check out the graph, you will notice that obviously some things have continued to skyrocket in mm-hmm. recent years. Um, the, the inflation levels. I mean, it's it's the, unbelievable. The different things that have yeah grown at different rates. It's just a, it's such a spider graph. I mean, it's kind of ironic because you always compare the the bottom and the top. Hospital services up two hundred forty. Three percent versus TVs, which have continuously mm-hmm. declined over time, and it just and see this. I, if you look at that entire blue section, one of the things I like to note is like this is what, from a historical perspective, that is te- classic textbook capitalism at work because the the price of the next thing is cheaper than the previous than one. the previous one. I mean, really, on that list, I mean, you're talking. Just a key thing. So this is overall inflation. This is not year over. It's year by year. In other words, since 2000, almost everything, if you were to add everything up and average it, everything is up 82%. Now, that's not 80, obviously, that's not 82% per year. That's 82% right. total since 2000. It's 82% more expensive, right? And so, but it's interesting because you've got, and then you've got wages are 100, up 114%. Since 2000, overall right. hourly wa- average hourly wages. So it's just amazing to look at that section of the more affordable and just see things. I mean, TV's down 97%. A TV, I mean, that's wonderful. You, but I, I mean, you didn't see it. I mean, yeah. remember when flat screens came out? Flat screens, $1,000, $2,000. I mean, you got the flat screens, 55-inch flat screens in Costco now are like $370. Yeah, they're, they're getting cheaper. So, of course, then the other question is why is it like college tuition and fees up 184%? Hospital service is obviously the one that it just blows everything Away. out of the 240%. park. 240%. But there's, there are reasons for that. First of all, the the Affordable Care Act did not actually result in lower prices well, I mean, that, across the nothing's that, yeah. changed. I mean, that nothing line has is changed. A straight line since, from 2000, 2010, and from 2010 to now. So yeah. nothing has changed. And now. accompanying this graph, there was a statistic that there was so much red tape that it takes 15 years to get a new drug on pharmacy shelves, and doing so costs 
2.7 billion on average. So think about that. You, it costs you to get a new drug on the market, 2.7 billion dollars and 15 years. That is a lot, and that's going to show up in the prices of what you're buying. It shows up buying. in the price of the drug. It shows up in the price of the drug because you have to recover 2.7 billion before you even start to make money. So yeah. that's part of the issue we're seeing here is that these things have gotten way out of hand, and it's mm-hmm. only getting worse. But we talked about it with recent guests too, also. Just the the administrative nightmare that is insurance, in the sense that I mean, what you you told me today, for every one doctor, there are four hundred insurance administrators. Yeah, and so that costs money, and that money is paid by people who go to the doctor or use hospital services. Yeah, you know what I mean, exactly. especially hospitals. Think about. It. I mean, if that's bad enough, I would imagine of the four hundred administrators per one doctor, that's not in your, you know, internal medicine general practitioner office. That's hospitals. Yeah, that's places you go when you really need help. I mean, I've heard, and I don't know how true this. I've heard that ambulance, just the cost of an ambulance taking you to the hospital, can cost almost fifty thousand dollars. Wow. And just sort of like where you, you wonder where the cost and you know that there's a reason why these hospitals are charging these exorbitant fees like for these things. Where, how do you solve it? All that is really it, it, it's it's a difficult problem to untangle, partially because the government has gotten so tangled up with healthcare that it's hard to know how to even untangle. How do you I mean, untangle it from I mean, there a policy? There are roots of this that go back to the 1930s. Insurance where they, companies where they, are tangled in with it well, too as no, well. Well, no, where the 1930s, they made health insurance premiums. Obviously, the premiums you pay for health insurance are taxable unless your employer is the one providing them to you. And that goes back to the 1930s. So the origin of all the issue of, oh, if I lose my job, I lose my health insurance. I mean, that's a, ni- that's a 1930s thing that has yeah. just continued to be an issue. Right, exactly. And I mean, one thing I will also point about at the graph, um, for those of you who had paused it or if, if, uh, if it's still up. Oh, thank you, Judy. Put it back up. Um, the food and beverage... And I believe housing, maybe, maybe housing kind of cut it right there. Yep, Food and beverage was, oh yeah, housing is there. They, they were below the overall inflation line until 2020. Mm-hmm. So if you look up there, 2020 is kind of like this cutoff period where like after the pandemic, housing and food and beverage passed the overall inflation. So that means obviously they were, they were still inflating, but they were the ones that were inflating the least. Now they have passed mm-hmm. the point at which everything else is. And to be, that's including the fact that hospital service has outlier dragged up the everything Everything else. Up. Exactly. But, um, I mean, that's also important because, and, and one of the things Xavier wanted me to point out um, from the article that had this graph especially was that all this is amplified depending on the, te- on the um, income bracket you're in. So upper middle class, mm-hmm. like a lot of the consumer spending that we have been seeing that's been carrying the economy has been coming from the upper, from the upper the wealthy, classes, exactly. the wealthy. Whereas middle classes... And the lower lower middle class, you know, um, I guess the low income brackets. Yeah, yeah, the lower. They're all struggling, right? This mm-hmm. is all stuff that would cause them to struggle more, not not less. Absolutely. So this is inflation is always the hardest on the people of the least amount of money, partially because wealthy people are more protected from inflation by having assets which tend to do better during inflationary mm-hmm. periods. And so if you ha- think about it, if you own a lot of housing, let's say you're a, a wealthy person that owns two or three houses, housing goes up, the, the value of your assets goes up. Most exactly. of the time, all these mm-hmm. uh, companies are making more money, more revenue, so you're making more money in, as a Stockholder. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, all, the more you invest in the stock market, the more you're able to weather something like this. Yes. The more you are in cash, the more inflation. Because remember, inflation eats away at cash, just exactly. cash earns zero. Right. Urges, I mean, yeah, money market up to one. I mean, it was 1% for most of us. But think about for cash effectively, is zero. cash effectively is like cash in your zero. pocket. Yeah. So inflation eats away at the value of cash. If you have an asset which increases its value over time, that mitigates the effect of inflation on you because you now have things such as a stock portfolio that go up also. Now, they may not go up the same amount of inflation, but if you think about it, inflation goes up 
if inflation has been up 80 since 2020, and the stock market, which I'm pretty sure the stock market is up more than 80 since uh, 2000. Sorry, 2000. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty sure the stock market. But let's say the stock market had failed to keep up with inflation, and it was only up 40. Well, that's still 40 versus 80, as opposed to if you're in cash, it's zero versus exactly. 80. You've recovered some of your value by exposing yourself to something that is also going up in price and value. So I think that's that's something that we wanted to show right away because I think this is a, a fairly new chart. This has been updated exactly. since... Well, and I think it does to show you that the problem is the average inflation number is not... This continues to show that the average inflation number that you see, which even though it wasn't good this past month, right, already, yeah. is a bad barometer for what the average person has to deal with. But since 2000, the average person, if you think about what you buy most, right... And you look at what's down on this list on the more affordable side. New cars, household furnishings. In fact, I'm going to even take out new cars and household furnishings. They're up. But if you think about what has gone down in price, clothing, cell phones, toys, computer software, and TVs, those are not the things that you need most. I mean, maybe cell phone is the only thing in there that you absolutely need, right? Yeah. And if you look at the flip side on things that have gone up greater than 20%, since 2000, new cars, housing, food and beverage, medical care, and hospital services. I mean, that, those are things that you, everyone is going to mostly use in your life, right? And, and those are outpacing the actual inflate, the average inflation rate. Exactly. So just, just to remind you that like, the inflation number is not a very good barometer of what the actual person is seeing because most of what you buy is growing up faster than the actual inflation number. Right. And I would, I would imagine, I don't, it's not on this chart, but I would imagine if you put energy in here, yeah. you're also dealing with I mean, that. to I mean, be honest, you, that's, gas, that's, gas is also, gas going up is also going to make everything else go up on. as well, right? It's, it's part of that. So, and, and, and it's also one of those things that I always say, like if you look at somebody's wealth, let's say we're, we're using extreme wealth maybe as an, as an example, but let's say you buy you know, a yacht and you got to maintain your yacht, like maybe the price of the yacht goes up 1%, but that's the proportion of the amount that you'd have to own to have all these different things, they're not going up as much. The proportion of things you need, somebody in a low-income bracket versus a high-income bracket, is exactly. much higher, and exactly. that's the point. Yeah, the fact that yachts barely went up in price, right, Won't is make irrelevant a to the average person, because the average person isn't buying a yacht. Right, because they have to focus on other things that are already taken care of when you have extreme levels of wealth. So this is, it's one of those circumstances which is not, it's, it, it's harsher Inflation is harsher on the lower class income I mean, brackets. Many economists, I mean, Milton Friedman used to talk, I, I believe that that's, that's the tax on the poor, like the, the regressive tax, because yeah. most of our taxes are progressive, meaning the wealthier you are, the greater percentage you pay. Inflation is a regressive tax. The poorer you are, the bigger you're hit by. Exactly. It is a tax on the poor. Which is ironic because today we have economists like Paul Krugman who said that if you take out food and travel and... It was food, energy, housing, and new cars. Yeah, if you take out all that stuff, inflation And used cars. Yeah, their inflation, inflation hasn't so been bad. that bad. And I'm like spoken like a man who doesn't spend a lot of his income on food, food gas, <laughs> new and used cars, and uh, housing. Exactly. If, you have, if, if you're getting paid $400,000 for a single semester, you're not really worried... <laughs> Yeah, you're not impacted by that. You're not impacted by any of this. So, and there's that's why it's more important to understand the numbers that you see here because, like, the, whether or not the infl especially with inflation, there's so much noise about it mm -hmm. that it's better. Like, this is a view of like this is how much something has actually gone up. Mm -hmm. It shows you, and it, it like a number that's a little bit more concrete rather than a year over year number, a month to month, exactly. where it's harder to gauge where you're at. Where this mm -hmm. is like this is where we're at. That's that is a little bit hot. Something that you would have paid for in the hospital cost two hundred fifty-seven percent more than it did in twenty years ago, and then twenty years ago. Yep. And that's that's the story. That's, and I'm looking at this chart. Probably about a hundred percent more than more than a hundred percent more than it would have ten years ago. Yeah. So I mean, we're seeing. I mean, yeah. Pandemic amplified a lot of things, but this has been an ongoing trend for a lot like of these situations. You said the issue situations. is the pandemic clearly amplified housing and food and beverage. Right. It pushed it pushed two things which had been under 
average inflation to be now greater than average yeah. inflation. And, and, and unfortunately, those are two very important things. Yeah, and so I think that's where people are, because there's always been, I've seen a lot of surveys seeking alpha. They're always doing these surveys for inflation. And they're saying that, you know, uh, people feel more hurt than the actual inflation number. So they're trying to, a lot of these economists are trying to figure out why people feel more, and I'm like, because they are feeling more hurt. Because, because more the hurt. inflation number takes everything at once, not the things that you care about the mm -hmm. most. And so... I think that's part of the problem is that people feel more hurt because it actually is hurting them more when the exactly. most important things are going up dramatically. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think we wanted to cover and you know make make clear to everyone like you're you, you, if you're feeling the hurt, it's because you're getting hurt. More, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Don't, you don't, all... have, don't fall into the trap of thinking that it's just you or you're doing something wrong because how come? Economists are telling me that the, you know it's not so bad for me, but I feel like it's a really tough situation. Yeah, it's because for you it, it probably is a really tough. Very situation. wealthy politicians and economists are going to tell you it's not that bad. It's because, because it's, not, them, that it's bad. not that bad for them. Ask like for Hoover you. thinking. Remember when Herbert Hoover? There was this famous story from the Great Depression. Herbert Hoover thought the depression was over, but that's because he never left the White House. Yeah, exactly. And like that's that's the same situation. You know, if you don't leave the White House, you're not going to see what's out there on the street. So absolutely, you know, which I think leads into what we're seeing in terms of credit card debt. You know, people, I mean, credit card debt is now at one point one three trillion with an average balance of six thousand dollars. Wow. And so serious delinquencies, which is 90 days or more. So being 90 days behind on paying your credit card is increased to six percent in the fourth quarter, up from four percent a year earlier. So it's. It's having a major impact on people's it's, – it's now translating from I can't afford to now I have debt. And the problem is many credit cards are now charging just of over 20%. And I think this is something that I think people need to be aware of. In other words, you – particularly if you're in a position, I think, that – you have maybe have credit card debt, but have some means of paying it off. And in other words, if you are flat out of money and you're living on credit card, there's, there's not too much that we as a financial advisor could give you an advice other than to look at the expense side. Right. You know what I mean? We can't magically increase your income. We can't magically increase what's in your savings account. We can't magically increase your assets, right? We, the only thing we would have left is say, what is left on the expense side? Which, I mean, given that food, gas, and housing are such a big thing, there may not be much left. But we do occasionally get individuals and families that they're like, do I pay off credit card debt or do, or do I do use some of my savings right. or do I leave my savings and roll over this credit card debt? And I think it's important to keep in mind just how damaging credit card debt is at the rates that we are seeing now. And I mean, you've seen this with people, you know, sometimes I think it's, it's easy to not realize what the impact of that can be. And the example, Xavier gave us a great example. He said, if you, if you only make, let's say you have that average credit card debt, which the average person has, so it's 6,360, right? Which then may not be the average person, but the average of all credit card debt divided by all people. So some people have more, some people have less. Exactly. But if you were to take that average balance of $6,360, and your rate was 20.75%, your annual rate, that's your which is pretty much what most people are looking at right now. You'd, and you only do the minimum payment. So you get your credit card statement, and there's that little number there that says your minimum payment for this month is $30, right? And you're like, oh, good, I can just pay that. I don't have to pay the balance. I can just pay the 30. You will be in debt for 218 months to pay off this balance which is a bit more than 18 years. It would take you 18 years to pay off this $6,000, and you will end up paying not $6,000. You will end up paying $9,542 in interest plus the $6,000 in principal. So in wow. other words, instead of paying six, you will end up paying $15,000. Wow, so it's almost Nine that's 100% more. Nine of interest. Okay, wow. Because of only paying the minimum payment. So you need to always look at, I mean, is it, it's a tricky thing, but let's face it, credit card companies kind of want you to just pay the minimum payment. Yeah. Right? They want you to think, they make a lot oh, of if money I pay the, the minimum payment, 
I won't be in default, my credit score won't be negatively impacted, and I will, you know, I won't be that, that bad off. It's like, no. The way to not be bad off is to pay the balance. Exactly. The way to pay $9,000 of interest is to pay the minimum. But the credit card would be, card company would be thrilled if you only paid the minimum and it took you 18 years to pay off this debt. Well, they're making 100% off, what they're, off their loan. Yeah. I mean, that's all, but you have to think of it as the bank is lending you money to buy your goods and then you're paying them back. Now, you can either pay them back at nothing. You pay back what you borrowed, yeah. 0%. And with the cashback stuff that they do now, you get you one, one, you yeah. gain 1%. Or you could pay them back at a, what, what would that be, like 100% more? I mean, that's, that, it, it's, it's, what, it's 20% annualized over 18 years. I mean, that, that's an insane number. Yeah, so think about that. You'd be paying, even just as a total, you're paying, to, or you could pay them I twice mean, it's over as much. It's basically over 150%. It is. A, it's a hundred, over 150%. Almost. Because if of it's 15. dollars of debt and $9,000 of that's interest. That's true, yeah. Overall, you paid over 150% of interest. Yeah, so you're paying 100. So you can either borrow from the bank at zero and maybe make a percent, or you can borrow at 150%. Now, if you, if some, if you went to someone and said, hey, over 18 years, you know, if you, you can buy everything you want, but you'll owe 100, your interest rate will be 150%. Would you do it? Yeah, exactly. The answer is no. Yeah, you no. wouldn't do it. You wouldn't You'd do it at do all. It. But with, with the situation that we have now where people are, are, are just relying. And so the, the question I have, and, and I, I, I struggle with this too, because I don't know, is this an education problem or is it just a matter of I can't or is it a matter of, as, you know, it doesn't matter to me if I pay 150%. Mm-hmm. I'm buying stuff I can't afford anyway, so I'll make it later and then just pay back. Because unfortunately, you do hear that story a lot where it's like, well... I can't afford this now, so I'll borrow the money, and then I'll just pay it back, and then all of a sudden you get caught in a debt trap, which is basically exactly. just a vicious tornado cycle where you just get sucked further and further down. Mm-hmm. You know? so it's, I, I think the advice is there for people who, again, if, if this is how you're making ends meet, there's not much that can be done. In other exactly. Words. But if you, if you are making a weighted cost between having money that you're not using or purchasing things you may not need and paying off your credit card, you need to realize just how big that is. You know, and don't be fooled by the minimum payment thing. Yeah. Um, Kevin Higgins, thanks for watching, has a great question, um, which is how do you think history will view Powell, uh, Fed chair, and his management of the real cost crisis, essentially? And he, I think he's exactly right. He makes the point. I don't feel like most Americans connect with the word inflation as much as they do with knowing how much a gallon of milk is. Uh, exactly. Which is, I think, exactly, exactly our point. In other words, the average American is not encountering the inflation rate. Yeah. The average American is encountering food inflation. They're encountering, I walked into the grocery store and food is 20% more expensive and milk than, than it was two years ago. Yeah. Which you can feel and, and see. Well, to be fair, economists have the inflation rate so that we can understand why the milk price of milk goes mm-hmm. up. Right, and that's, well, the is that's they, what it is. The problem is, yeah. at the point at which you massage the inflation rate so much that the inflation rate does not accurately, I mean, it may accurately depict the economy as a whole, but if you massage the inflation rate so much that it no longer bears resemblance to when I walked in the store and see the price of milk, because I'm like, oh man, milk, milk feels like way more than 2% higher. Right. Well, so yeah, because it is. Yeah. And the inflation rate is no longer helping you understand that. Well, interestingly enough, and we'll answer, Kevin, we'll answer the first part of your question in a moment, because I think this is something else that I think a lot of economists always talk about. What There was a while, during, especially during the Obama administration with Janet Yellen, who's now the Treasury Secretary, mm-hmm. I believe, she was... Um, she was fed chair at the time. She was fed chair at the time. She was encouraging inflation, which was low during Obama's uh, administration, because they wanted to push what's called the Phillips curve, mm-hmm. which is where if it, it was an economic phenomenon that a economist named Phillips discovered. So he didn't create... Pre-70s. Pre-70s. He discovered, in, he discovered it in the 70s. He discovered this in the 70s, that if inflation ticked up a little bit... Um, Unemployment would go down. 
unemployment would go down because producers would think that prices were going up a little bit, something was more valuable, not that it was worth less, that mm -hmm. money was worth less, that they thought it was more valuable, so they'd produce more, expand their businesses, hire more people, mm -hmm. and create a situation where wages went up more than inflation. So it was a very, very small, finicky phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Well, and the problem is... That was a natural phenomenon, which is the key. Yeah. It's a natural phenomenon that Phillips observed, not created. Janet Yellen and the Obama administration in particular were looking to exploit the phenomenon by encouraging well, inflation remember, on a they small began scale. To exploit, the, to exploit the phenomenon even back in the 70s. Oh, they did. Okay, right. Yeah, That's so the moment he discovered it, Economists began saying, well, just boost inflation. I mean, yeah, right. it was obviously Janet Yellen I was, was, Janet a, big Yellen was a big of proponent so of this. So was um, yeah. Ben Bernanke right before her. Right. That he just basically offloaded tons of money into the system to try to do this, right? The problem is the moment they attempted to exploit it, in other words, the moment the government said, well, let's intentionally cause inflation to lower unemployment, it stopped working. Right. There has been no Phillips Turf connection since 1970. Right. You can no longer observe it. Why? Because people get on. Like, well, wait a second. This is not really more valuable. Yeah. It's just my money. Well, place. and part of the it's it's the old. I don't know if you've heard of the two. Of the it was it was a Chinese paradox called the camera in the room. If two people in a room having a conversation, the conversation will not be the same if you put a camera in the room. Mm -hmm. And they know because that it's there. They know it's there. So if you declare that you're going to pursue the Phillips curve openly, and which is what Yellen did, part of it is that mm -hmm. I do think that one of the things that they did say was that Yellen was one of the most vocal about oh, yeah. admitting that she was pursuing this, is that you've destroyed the essence of the Phillips mm -hmm. curve, which is that it's it's – it's, it's mental. The, the producers think that things are more valuable, so they're creating more. Absolutely. Uh, how, do you, how do you answer the first part with Powell's history? The first history? part is a great question, Kevin, to be honest. It's, I think Powell, it, like most Fed chairs, probably overestimated what he could do by increasing rates. But at the same time, he's been handed an issue whereby here he is trying to suck money out of the system. Because all right, if, if you truly believe inflation is too much money seeking too few goods, in other words, coming out of the pandemic, we had pumped all this money into the economy, mm -hmm. right? We had, obviously, you had the stimulus that occurred in 2020, right, when the, everything was shut down, but you also had the 2021 stimulus, even when things were coming back up, right? So you pump all this money in, and there's not a lot of goods out there, because production hasn't caught up. So you have... Too much money, too few goods. So Powell's like, let me suck money out of the economy by increasing interest rates. That's what that does. But here he is doing that. And here on the fiscal side, Congress is printing more money than ever before for the past three years. And they passed the Inflation so Reduction Act, which sucking, didn't... Yeah, exactly. You which did not... Reduction Act, which spends $2 trillion, right? Right, so... So here he is sucking money out of the economy, and the other arm of the government is pouring money into the economy. Yeah. So... On the one hand, he, what he's doing clearly has not worked. Yeah. Right? I think it's safe to say inflation has not gone away. It's not down yeah. to zero. It's still going up month to month, right? Right. So now he's in the bind of saying economy is not looking too great. People have a lot of debt. Consumer spending has now downed But I can't lower rates because I just spent so much time increasing them to suck money out. But on the other hand, everything he's doing has been undone. By the other hand. Yes. So I, I think his management will not be looked favorably upon, but I think at the same time a rational economist in the future will say that he was ba everything he was doing was basically being undone. Exactly. I think that's what it comes down to is that I, I'm not a huge Powell fan, but I'm not going to say that I think the entire thing was his fault because yeah. I think that if – if everyone, if the entire government had been working to solve the problem, then mm. the problem might have been, it, we wouldn't be seeing it as horribly managed as it is now, Absolutely. is basically what it is. I think part of it is, is if you, because at the mm. same time, think about it, they have not also taken strides to solve a lot of the other issues we're seeing. If, if gas is still high, transporting goods will still be high. Now, mm -hmm. part, of the, part of the issue is there's a conflict between the current administration's desire to not print, not, you know, for environmental concerns, not pump gas, 
but of course that drives up the price, the price of, gas. of gas. And so as a result, that does not combat inflation. So on the one hand, you're, you're sacrificing one for you're paying for it in another way. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that it's just one of those, I just think it's one of those things where I, if the if the government and the Fed, because the Fed is just really just one, I mean, it's not even a branch of the government, it's a private bank. So part of the was like, how much can a private bank that's kind of like the sanctioned, national bank, a yeah, nationalized national. bank do when the government is not trying to yeah. assist at all? So basically, part of it is, I don't think it's really... The, it's like the Sisyphus thing. I mean, Powell's trying to roll the boulder up back up the hill, right? But the boulder keeps getting bigger. Yeah. I mean... Other socioeconomic situation, I was going to say demographic problems, I should have just stuck with that. Dem dem demographics has also exacerbated this because you had a situation where all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, all these millennials are looking for home, they're pushing out, they're trying to, we're, they were playing catch up from years of, you know, being, I guess, traumatized, if you will, by the 2008, and now... Well, I remember, there was almost also... Traumatized, yes, but also there was almost no economic growth from 2008 to 2017. It was the worst recovery was in worst recovery U.S. In history. Yeah. So part of the problem is you have the worst recovery in U.S. history. You enter a pandemic. I mean, you had a, you had a small period um, where, where it, grew it started bit. to grow back. You have a pandemic that kind of just throws everything muck. Millennials decide that they're not going to wait anymore. They're going to start looking for homes. And home prices are higher. Than home prices are higher. So there's been a lot of other democratic problem, demographic, demographic problems that have exacerbated this issue. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Kevin says, great comments on credit card debt. Our citizens owe an all-time high amount, but the government is much worse with debt. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, it's easy to focus on credit card debt being an all-time high, but obviously all forms of debt including government debt that we owe is, is at an all-time high. He says, we're lucky you guys are around. He sees the business similar to healthcare right now. So many people need your oh, thank care. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. it. You know, and I, I think you're right. It's, it, we're in a place where people need more advice than ever before because it's, yeah. it's becoming difficult to manage. And I, I am going to say, uh, it's the idea of using a national credit card, that is absolutely correct because I remember there was an economist who was doing a study and this, again, because it's not popular, it doesn't get a lot of attention. She wrote that the higher the national debt, the less effective the money multiplier on spending is. So what mm -hmm. that means is that, think about it, you, you're the government. So this is just for everyone to, that can illustrate the point. I, let's say I have no debt whatsoever. I'm President X. And I, I'm like, I'm going to spend $1 billion to build a road to bump the economy back up. It gives me a 3% economic GDP because it's done it's a something. Highly it's a highly productive yeah. use of money. Now $1 billion in debt. Now I say, well, I'm, if that works, so I'll go another billion dollars in debt and build another bridge somewhere else so that I have two bridges instead of one. It, should get me, it does not get you it's six. It only get, gets you half. So, so now it's only think four about and how half. multiply that by our $100 trillion of debt, and you see how ineffective... It starts to get, debt it's gotten so bad that she, she during, and this was her, her work came out during, during Obama's $1 trillion stimulus bill. So this, is, so this is what, 2010? This was 2010. She was saying that it's already entered the point at which government spending might be a negative multiplier because of the wow. effect of debt. So now we're saying like instead. And now we're 10 years later. And now we're 10 years later and we haven't slowed down at all. So just keep that in mind. Like, so these things may, you know, whether or not we get, again, the big R word, the recession, everyone's always talking about, like, are so we in one? Do we predict. get one? Do we, you know, we had a mini one, now are we going to get another one? It's hard to predict, but these things aren't good, so it's important to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, shout out, uh, Bill McChesney, thanks for watching this morning. Heather Wirt, thanks for watching this morning, and a, and a happy birthday happy to birthday, Heather Wirt. I believe today is her birthday. So just a big happy birthday to Heather Wirt. Thanks for, for uh, watching us this morning. Uh, Alvira Dadnasi, thanks for watching this morning. Appreciate uh, everyone who's tuning in. Um, you touched a little on homeownership. And that, I think, connects to something else that you had we had kind of been talking about before the show, which is just um, households, but also what we know about homeownership as an, as an asset means. But the other type of asset that people can hold is retirement accounts. Okay. And that's like what has confused it. I was trying to go from going. homeownership yeah, okay. to retirement accounts here, right? Because okay. homeownership is one means of an asset, but exactly. retirement accounts is another one. And so the 
per, per percentage of households that have a retirement account. And you had this great chart. Um, I don't know if Judah has this yes, one. Yes, Judah oh, is does. the Hispanic uh, chart. Um, about the Hispanic <laughs> chart. <laughs> uh, percentage of Hispanic and general population households that there have we go, a retirement yeah. account. Yeah. And the Ami thank you, amigo. Gracias. Uh. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that if you look at from 2000 to now, the first thing I noticed about this chart is that nothing has changed. Nothing is, and, and that's more, see, and so the the other so the the group that puts this out the Hispanic Wealth Project, they um, they noted to great to a great applause that um, the the so the Latino line and the general population line for home ownership the gap between them is closing. It's closing. So that's that's, that's really good. important. That's, that's very good. Generational wealth is mostly formed by home ownership like that's we applaud all that we're, we're all happy with it however one thing there's two things that concern me about this chart is that the general population has not increased their retirement like most people I, half mm -hmm. of people aren't don't have a plan for retirement they're not waiting for my retirement they aren't ready yep. for retirement and the latino gap not only has it not Closed, but it it's might have even widened a little bit. It has dipped between 2016 and 2019, and that's not good. I mean, I think the credit card debt problem has exacerbated it, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's one important mm -hmm. um, but I thought situation. It's, I also think but it's an education piece. I mean, I think so many people don't know what retirement accounts are. Like, I think most people just think if my employer doesn't have a 401k. That's it. I don't, I, there's nothing, there's no retirement account I can do. Well, business, and see, the thing for me, I thought that was the most interesting, is that business, Latinos are opening more businesses than ever before. So they're opening more businesses at a higher rate even than, than Caucasian Americans mm -hmm. or, I guess, white America, uh, whatever you want. General population. General population. Well, more Mostly than general population, Mostly but white, white yeah. is, the, I think, second to that. Yeah. You know, I don't like the term white, but we'll, we'll stick with, with it. it. We'll go with it because that's the only thing we have. Um, that they measure so more than so than white and which are the second highest but they're not opening retirement accounts for business mm -hmm. at which they'd have great advantages from a tax, tax perspective. perspective and the other thing there's 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 a focus on education for your children like that was another thing pointed out that like funding for education for for, for Hispanics as well can be done through a retirement through account so there's all these and home ownership if you think about a Roth if you open a Roth you can Use one of the qualified withdrawals is home own, buying a home for the first time so part of what I guess what I wanted to make aware for you know our Hispanic and our audience in general is that like especially if you own a business that's a great it's a great tool to have exactly. is your retirement account. Like mm -hmm. it and it creates, does, you don't need to start a 401k. There are much simpler things you can do. Everyone just immediately asks, how do I, you know, 401ks are expensive. How do I start it? How do I do it? It's your situation, especially if you're starting off small, may not need a 401k. They're expensive. Exactly. They have a lot of administrative costs. They're kind of unwieldy to use. Yeah, you can put a lot away, but most of the time... It's You're probably not, more than you may be even able to put away anyway. Some people, it's more than they're making yeah. at the point at which they're starting their business. So you don't need a 401k. You should be looking at other options that are 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 different for you, mm -hmm. and especially given your tax bracket, especially if you know if you're in a young, low tax bracket, a Roth is a great opportunity. Opportunity. You start mm -hmm. funding that because yeah, it it's not. It's not saving you on taxes now, but it's giving you it, so much savings in the future and it gives so much you, flexibility. Exactly. At the point at which you retire, and it's a, it's flexible for now because you can, again, qualify mm -hmm. withdrawal for education, for housing. Well, you, can, you can withdraw what you put in for any reason whatsoever. Your contributions. Mm -hmm. Your contributions, exactly. essentially. So there's a lot of right off the bat. And then at the point at which you start making, and this is the thing I think people don't realize is that you don't just open up. You don't have to just open up one. The point at which you're like, hey, I'm making enough now that I can cut my taxes if I fund an IRA, you know, because that's a double door. You swap over or you yep. do both and you can have both open, both available. You're ready for a 401k? Open a 401k. Like yeah. all these things can be available to you. All you the tools to are available. You just have to learn about it, talk to someone, figure out what works for you and go ahead and do it because to be able to, especially in a Roth where... You can grow your money tax-free while you're saving for a home. Exactly. So think about tax drag itself. Instead of paying capital gains, instead of paying income 
tax on your mm-hmm. on, on your dividends. cash dividends, you can you can be taking that tax you can be making that tax free. That's a huge advantage, especially exactly. if you have five, ten years to save. I mean, anybody that's even just making that's working if you're just a you know you're still in college and you're working and you're 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 able to save some you want a house in the future think about all but even if you just fund a little bit i mean we've we repeat the statistic over and over if you fund if you do i mean this is the match but if you do the match only for eight years which is six thousand between the ages six thousand dollars a year the maximum is now higher but between the ages of 22 and 30 you put away six thousand dollars a year and then you never save another penny for the rest of your life that grows to like seven hundred fifty thousand. So imagine retiring seven with seven hundred fifty thousand dollars by the time you retire for just something be- you did from twenty for eight years when you were young and then never did again because you couldn't afford it anymore. Or even if just a matter of hey, I'm just going to do the, this Roth is going to be my retirement piece. I'll have seven hundred fifty thousand, and then everything else you put is gravy. Is yeah. gravy, right? You put you put some in your IRA, put some in your four hundred one k, or just vice versa. You you mm-hmm. fund all that for your retirement, but now you've got this chunk. You exactly. want to buy your kid a house, seven hundred fifty thousand. Well, for you know, at least buy a nice decent to, home. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you think about it. You can do that. So I think there's there's so many there's so many advantages to being to open to having mm-hmm. a retirement account and exploring the different kinds that are available. That I'd like to see that number with the Latinos yeah. go up. I'd We'd like to see the general population go up. I mean, the population sitting at fifty percent. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you'd like to see that go up, but especially the Latino debt from twenty five. I mean, and that's the thing is that there's a lot of push for home ownership, and I I fully support that. But I would like to see the gap close. Yep. I'm I mean, I'd like to see it all go up, but again, like the I want to see the gap close on that, especially for the, you know, especially given the fact that Latinos are opening mm. up businesses. Especially since this you've got isn't, business advantages for that. This isn't how much you have in a retirement account. This is whether or not you have one. Yeah, exactly. So in other words, yeah, I don't expect that Latinos are going to suddenly become just as wealthy as people that maybe, you know what I mean, as generational wealth that's yeah. probably in that general population number, right? But we can at least close the gap in whether or not you even have one. Well, because that's a first step to closing the gap to everything else. Exactly. Because, again, it's, it's funny because always, you always hear, like, don't, you know, you, our parents always did things this way. The previous generation always did things that one way. But uh, you got to hand it, but they, they knew how to create wealth. Yep. And if there's something that you should at least amplify in one way, like, I don't care if you don't like anything else about boomers. Boomers made money. Like, yeah. And so if you want to be like that, go ahead and do what they did. You mm-hmm. put the retirement account. You buy the home. You, 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 you find ways yeah. to save. You utilize all the accounts that are available. And then you, you – I mean the government's telling you you can do all these things. And we, won't, and we won't tax you. Like, it's one of the few times the government tries not to tax, tax you. you. You should do it. I mean, 100% you should do it. And even, think about just going from inflation to assets. Like, if you're sitting in cash because you're, you're afraid, you're just basically telling just, every, the government to go ahead and just and take... take your money with inflation. Take 5 3% every month out of, your, out of your bank account. So would you rather do that or would you rather... Have it grow make, a little bit. Yeah. Because everyone, it's funny because everyone always compares like, oh, the market's down one percent, and I'm like, well, if your mark, you know, money's worth down, it, the, the inflation's three percent, so it would be even worse. Well, no, well, it's, you, yeah, you have inflation plus you're down one. Exactly. The point is, over time, it's over never time, down it's one. It's never down. The market's always up over time. Exactly. Exactly. That was my point. Exactly. Um, Poorly phrased. But, but. I mean, there is some. I mean, I thought you had some interesting good news. I don't want people to think we're all we're only Debbie Downers because obviously we we had the good news there. But I mean, definitely some some interesting things happen in the sense of you know maybe nuclear is coming back to help with the energy. You know issues that we're having. I mean, Microsoft looking to watch the power to data centers with like mini nuclear reactors. So mini nuclear reactors is the new thing. So everyone's talking about the, the smoke. Nobody wants a smokestack in their backyard, which I can understand. Yeah. They're kind of tall. But um, it turns out that there's new technology now. We don't, you don't have to. In fact, I don't think, like, if I'm correct, I don't even think like Anna has a smokestack, the nuclear reactor there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've not seen it. But it is, it is smaller and they're apparently even smaller now. Now, Interestingly enough, um, part of the issue, of course, is funding, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get approval. Yeah. Their funding, they're, they're difficult to approve. Um, politicians don't really like nuclear reactors. 
Um, because mostly because constituents tend to worry if it's in their backyard, yep, things like nobody that. Nobody wants it. Yeah, um, not in my backyard, kind of thing. But um, Microsoft is is training an AI model to slash the time it takes to get nuclear power plants approved by ninety percent. Wow. So, and and I don't gonna be honest. Like everywhere, we've read the research on the investor side, not on the political side, where it's mm -hmm. a lot of noise and there's a lot of. Yeah, on the, um, on the side where, where the money's going. Yeah, where's the money going? How do we actually solve these problems? There's only really one solution. We like The issue is that where we are with, new, with renewables is not going to get us to where we need to be to provide energy full-time without burning coal. Mm -hmm. The only other way to provide energy for the entire country that's zero carbon emission and makes everything cheaper is nuclear. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing we have right now. Now, there's hope. I always have hope, right? Yeah, of have course. Hope. Always hope that we'll get fusion, which is safer. But... Until that's here. Until that's here, one thing I will say is that they have said that nobody has gotten sick from Fukushima. Fukushima. Oh, the, the, the no, Japanese from reactor. From the Japanese yeah. reactor that had a lot of things go wrong. Yeah. No one has gotten sick. I mean, the only by a tsunami. Yeah, they got hit by a tsunami. That's not the... Yeah, it's the, whole, the last thing you would day. want to happen. Yeah. The only time someone has gotten ill from a nuclear reactor breakdown was Chernobyl. And, the, and Chernobyl is a is political issue because, because they, they told they intentionally everyone. intentionally kept people trapped there. Exactly. Because they didn't want to admit that they had messed up. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot safer than you even think it is. And I think it, the problem is it's the only choice we have. So I think little by little, we will see um, quiet change. So that's. Mm -hmm. Part of the thing is this, like... Yeah, nobody wants to come out and say, build a bunch of nuclear reactors. Nobody's got... No, there's no politician that's going to run on, I'm building all the nuclear reactors yeah. and from California to New York to Florida, we're going to cover the country in, yeah. in smokestacks. Yeah. You know, he's not... There, there's nobody that's going to sit on that campaign. Yeah. What they're going to do is they're going to sign it uh, at Quiet, 12 right. o'clock at midnight on Christmas Eve and it, nobody's going to pay yeah. attention to it and the news is not going to report it and then you're going to get one... That's a mini yeah. nuclear reactor. And to be that fair, you didn't it's even not smoke that comes out of them. It's uh, water vapor. They, don't they call it smokestacks? Though I don't know if it's supposed to be called a smokestack. I think, they I think call it's it just. Stacks. I think that is the reactor thing, but it's not a. It's not I know a it's smokestack. Steam, but like they call it's, it smoke, it's water like, vapor. Yeah, it's not they, smoke. You're not really burning. Anything. Well, that's well, part smoke of the problem. Sounds like oh man, like there's smoke. I'm gonna like burn my lungs. Uh, yeah, no, it sounds awful. Water. It's like when you boil water in your. No, it sounds. It's it sounds like the industrial revolution with the smokestacks and the children working to Charles. Yeah, Charles Dickens. Yeah, which which of course it's not, and that's part of the thing too. Is it's not, and the key will be getting so. A lot of the research I read, it's always the same. You have to get a baseline of energy mm -hmm. provided by nuclear, and then subsi sub subsidized, subsidized, supplemented, supplemented, <laughs> supplemented. My vocabulary is struggling today. Hey, it's supplemented by renewables because mm -hmm. you'll have fluctuations in in renewables, yeah, in, what they in energy consumption. Because during the day people use energy, at night people turn the lights off and there's less. Yeah. So nuclear, because it provides a baseline. You'll have, okay, well, we're going to store a little extra from the wind, right, to provide during the day. And then, okay, everyone turn off their lights, just turn off the wind turbines, and exactly. then just get back to the nuclear level. And that's, and that's what you're going to, and I do believe that that's what that's we're going to see as we go forward. Which I like. There's, there's, so there's, there's technology, there's good news. There's I mean, I thought it was all good news, to yeah. be fair. Maybe not the first chart, but... The whole but some of the others are, yeah. yeah everything news. is just there's, a matter of There is of hope, hope out there. We yeah. don't want people to think there's no hope. It's, just, it's good to be aware of what the challenges are and what are some things you might be able to do to mitigate or at least not fall deeper into them. Exactly. So I thought this was a great show. I thought it was fun. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed being on. Had some great uh, comments. Really appreciate everyone who tuned in today. Uh, Heather Word, Utlumana. Dustin Angeli, Elvira Dednesi. Kevin Higgins anyone else. There's questions. more. There's always, yeah. there's always more that I don't catch. There's always a bunch that I don't catch. There's a little eyeball thing, you know, so you know, 10 people, but I can't see who they all are. And then, of course, Kevin Higgins, thanks for the great uh, comments and questions today. So it was, uh, it was a fantastic show. Really enjoyed being on with you. It's been a while. been a while since I've been on with, uh, with Nick. And next week, going to have on David McCormick from Early Music America. Awesome. So I love looking having forward, David. Looking forward to that. Um, be sure to check check it out. Check out the music we got going around town. Um, I, I, I believe... Our, are we going to have on Oratorio Society before the March 9th concert? 
I don't know about the Can't March 9th concert, but, but we are having them on. They're coming back. They are coming back. I know they are. But if not, don't forget about the March 9th concert. Uh, together in song music from the theater. So be sure to check that out for the Oratory Society of Virginia. So uh, that's, that's always a fun event that they put on there. And uh, look forward to, to next week. Appreciate it being on with you. We'll see which Irpy joins you <laughs> next Absolutely. week. Absolutely. I will see. Because uh, now, uh, yeah, now it's a, yeah, now it's a, what's it called? The roulette. Russian <laughs> the roulette. roulette. It's, no, not Russian roulette. Just the roulette table. You put the ball in and we figure who it is. Central Mike. Everyone draws the loaded revolver. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think, well, we don't roll that way today, man. No, so we don't. It's a little we too don't. hardcore. Uh, of course, thanks to Judah behind the camera. Then uh, last for, especially for you know his great work when there's you know last minute changes that have to happen, getting some some great charts on on air for us. Really appreciate it. I love Civil Network, of course. Thanks to Emerging Financial Services. Thanks to our fantastic partners, Castle Hill Cider, Matthias Young Realty, Credit Serious Insurance. Thanks to all of you who joined us. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Maybe Nick or maybe someone else. We'll find out. We'll find out. Maybe I won't even be here. <laughs> uh, maybe you won't. Yeah. Who knows? But we look forward to seeing all of you next week. Until that time, stay safe. Stay well. Stay warm and uh, have a wonderful week and hasta mañana.